welcome to my first Pran Science Art podcast uh, on the immunology series. And today's lecture is going to be the introduction to immunology, and it should take about 40 minutes uh, to listen from start to finish. So make sure you have a nice cup of tea. So today's lecture is going to be covering the basics of immunology, that is how we understand immunology and some key components uh, within that. And we'll be touching on how we are able to uh, kind of group things and, and make sense of it sort of going forwards. So essentially, when we are talking about uh, immunology, we all, everyone understands something different. It's, it's everyone has their own sort of take on it. And immunology is one of those difficult subjects, not because it is difficult per se, but because it's everywhere. It is ubiquitous. Um, it's a nice word, ubiquitous. Uh, it is one of those subjects that underlies most diseases. And to give you a sort of a heads up on that, so when most people think of uh, immunology, you think of inflammation for a start, um, and you think of the symptoms of inflammation, which are redness, heat, swelling, and pain. And as symptoms essentially are are everywhere. So, for example, if you have a bruise, uh, this is an inflammatory stimulus. It will there will be involved with some redness, uh, some heat, swelling, and pain, and. The redness and the heat come from the fact that your blood vessels have vasodilated. Um, the swelling has come because you have white blood cells that are migrating out. Your immune cells, your white blood cells are, are migrating out into the localized tissue and causing swelling and pain because you have triggered uh, mediators to be released, which cause the um, pain to happen. So most people think of any, so you bump your head, you shut your hand in a door, you step on a pin you burn yourself. All of these things um, create an inflammatory response. However, we also know uh, the immune system on a day-to-day -day basis, particularly, I mean, it's uh, June now in London. Um, for those of you who suffer with hay fever, you will be appreciating quite right now the, the impact of allergy. And allergy is an, a, an immune dysfunction that occurs. Um, and so, this is another sort of thing that we will also be discussing later on in the course. We have also have our diseases, so we know of diseases, anything with an itis, laryngitis, hepatitis, meningitis, itis means inflammation. These are diseases that we associate with immunology. We also have, uh, and AIDS, we have the common cold and more recently the pandemic, the lovely COVID-19. So these are things that uh, actually our, our immune system will fight against and will create symptoms that we will, our immune system will create the symptoms that we experience. Uh, then we have the sort of uh, common cold, obviously I've just said. Then we have autoimmune diseases where our immune system starts to attack us. So it's not just a little bit aberrant, which is what happens in allergy, but you get things like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, where you see the old lady with the wizened fingers pointing south. Rheumatoid arthritis is where your immune system attacks the joints and cartilage. You've got multiple sclerosis. Uh, and then you have the diseases which yeah, you wouldn't think so much that, that have the inf in your immune system underneath it. So what I study, in addition to HIV, is also the cardiovascular system. And it was in 1980 that it was discovered that uh, cardiovascular disease actually is an inflammatory disease. And so it's sort of been accepted that if you have chronic inflammation, you will end up 
with a totally scuppered cardiovascular system. So all of these things, your immune system, your immune cells is underpinning it. Now, we haven't been, as scientists, just haven't been sort of kind of sitting back and going, oh, that's nice. We tried very hard to modify and to ameliorate our immune system responses to things, because essentially, if you have an amazing immune system, you can pretty much be immortal. Uh, so we have, for example, vaccination, where you trick your immune system into believing that you have had a nasty dose of the disease that, that you have had. So polio measles um these things take years to develop uh and and essentially where well, we eradicated smallpox completely from the planet as a consequence of a vaccination uh, you know vaccination uh across the world and a sort of a really good organized refute and that was uh that happened in 1980 we also have uh, organ transplants which we are able to do because we now know enough about our immune system to get it to calm down and not to attack the foreign kidney that comes into us. So medicine has been able to get the best out of our immune system such that, you know, we can we can have it to our advantage. So our immune system is everywhere. We know it's everywhere. And that's great. So it's just vast. So it's a bit of like the puppet master. If your immune system goes wrong, you are scuppered. It's you it's game over. Now, our immune systems have essentially been developing with us, you know, evolutionarily along the track. And actually, if you ever look at that, it's absolutely fascinating. But ultimately, the reason we have an immune system is because we want to uh, be able to sort of get rid of all the things that wish to live in us at 37 degrees uh, temperature, uh, 37 degrees Celsius, rather, for, you know, um, and sort of, you know, 75% water. We are a wonderful place where lots of bacteria and fungus would love to grow if they could get the chance. However, <clears throat> our body doesn't only come into contact with bacteria and other pathogens when we get sick. Actually, we're surrounded by bacteria. We have more bacteria in our bodies than we do our own cells. And there are a few billion bacteria on our tongues alone. You think about that the next time you're giving someone a kiss. So our immune system has to be able to discriminate between those good bacteria that benefit us and those that are actually uh, harmful. Now, if the common good isn't enough for you and sort of isn't enough of a stimulus to sort of say, why bother studying immunology? Why is it so interesting? Well, in the last 10 to 15 years alone, well, I'd say it's sort of 15 to 20 years, the technological industries have copied the mechanisms our bodies have developed over millennia. So now we use antibodies. We develop in a lab an antibody, which is exactly identical to the antibodies in our body, except they've been tweaked and they can be targeted to look at sort of forms of breast cancer. They can target rheumatoid arthritis. And now the global market in antibodies is in the billions and billions and billions. And two of the top five selling drugs, or perhaps that's changed now, it's sort of be even more, involve uh, novel antibody uh, create, creation. So that's where the money's at, uh, if, if the common good and just trying to understand how human beings have survived is not enough. So how have we developed this? Immune defences are something, if you think about it, our bodies have had to evolve because, you know, from the sort of being scrabbling around in caves. And uh, sorry for those of you who are creationists, this is not the course for you. 
essentially we have evolved, um, you know, and have had that capability to sort of, you know, sort of live in dirt. Uh, not that I'm not advocating washing. I, I do advocate washing, particularly uh, if we're trying to prevent a, a COVID-19 pandemic and wash our hands. But we find that our immune defences are actually very similar to a lot of other vertebrates. Reptiles and amphibians also share very similar structures in white blood cells. And, and not only we're talking about the higher animals, other phyla as well. So worms and sponges also, and sponges are one of the, you know, the oldest, oldest uh, organisms on the planet, also have an immune system which we can sort of relate to and, and look at, look back at. So what is it that these animals and these, these sort of organisms need to fight against? We call infectious agents uh, a pathogen, and the infectious agents that um, these pathogens include fungi, protocyster, uh, multicellular parasites like your little helminth worms, your tapeworms, uh, viruses, bacteria. And in addition to which, if you think about that, viruses are, well, they're viruses, they're quite unique, and they have a wonderful capacity of hiding inside your cells. What they do is they hijack our equipment that enables us to um, kind of enables us to kind of make DNA and whatnot and make proteins and viruses hijack all of that and they whoosh in they come and they make viruses. And so essentially all of your body's equipment that would normally be making proteins to keep you running is now making viral proteins, which then go and hijack other cells and so on and so on. Extracellular uh, infections tend to be bacterial, although that's not exclusive. And then you have uh, sort of uh, sort of the whole uh, thing associated with, for example, malaria, which is fascinating. Um, so we fight infection the entire time. But if I was to take a one milliliter, a tiny sample of your blood, what would I find in it? Now, most people's answer is red blood cells or white blood cells. And then that's nice. What I'm asking is, is if I were to just say what part of your immune system is active in your blood at any one point in time, you'd find an enormous, enormous cohort of cells there, a really wide variety of cells and also molecules. And I'm going to list a few of those just now. So, for example, these might be... Um, your phagocytes. Phagocytes, for example, things like neutrophils, uh, which are enormous eaters. You've got monocytes, which are also phagocytos. You've got macrophages, which are the big eaters. We love macrophages. They're kind of, I really like them. They are fascinating little phagocytes which have the capacity to uh, lasso their bacterial prey. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about them a little bit later. We've also got dendritic cells, which can phagocytose things. Again, don't mistake these dendritic cells from the dendritic cells that you find in uh, the nervous system. Oh, by the way, the other thing is, is and if you are doing, stay with me on this immunology course, you will be learning a little bit of classics, a little bit of the sort of ancient Greek and Latin, because funnily enough, a lot of the nomenclature for these cells does happen to be classical. Dendritic cells come from the uh, Greek word dendros, meaning tree. 
And unfortunately, I, I can't see it myself. I look at it and I, I don't really see a tree. I see like a little spiky, crazy ball. Um, however, uh, I'll, we'll take that. Uh, do not mistake it for the dendritic cell of your nervous system, which also looks a little bit more like tree. I would say that looks more like a tree than a dendritic cell of your immune system. Anyway, we've got dendritic cells. Uh, let's move on. So those are your phagocytes. You've also got cells that don't just go around like Pac-Man eating things. You've got the cells that uh, will really tr hone in and tar they're like the assassins of your white blood cells, your T cells, uh, and also you have your B cells, and B cells will make antibodies. B cells on the surface of them have mini antibodies all over the surface of them. They look like a little stick ball. They don't look like a cell. And if I was going to describe a T cell, if I ever look at one, someone to show me a picture of a T cell under a microscope or, you know, a micrograph of a T cell, I would say that a T cell looks like a coconut Ferrero Rocher. And if you don't know what they are, uh, and if you happen to like coconut, which I do excessively, do go and find one. And uh, the next time you look at it, say, mm, this is what a T cell looks like. Obviously, they're very tiny, though. Under a light microscope, you wouldn't be able to see any difference whatsoever. Uh, other types of cells, what else have I not covered? Oh yes, we've also got uh, mast cells. Mast cells uh, are cells that uh, have the capacity to um, degranulate. They are full of granules, so they're not just, that's what they do. They are so full of granules. And essentially, upon activation, they just release everything they have inside them. Blech, kind of like exploding. A little bit like a water balloon that you throw at someone. And there are a cell is, is full of these little water balloon type things. And as soon as they're activated, out comes everything. And these are the ones that you associate with allergy. And therefore, you find that these little cells are full of histamine. Next time you go to your, uh, you know, go to your chemists or your, your pharmacist and you ask for an antihistamine, it's because of the you're trying to block receptors in cells to stop the effects of uh, histamine from occurring. So those are the cells. That's just like a whistle stop if I find that in your blood. Other things I would find in your blood would include antibodies. Just antibody antibodies, not necessarily because you've been sick, but antibodies for your red blood cells. We've also got, um, we've got chemical mediators that allow the communication between cells, things called cytokines. And also a wonderful thing called complement. Complement. I think I might even have an entire... Uh, an entire podcast about soluble mediators that includes complement because we should never underestimate complement. Complement is not the same as me saying, goodness me, you're looking very attractive today. Complement is spelt differently. It's spelt with an E uh, and not with an I. And it looks like a load of olives on, a st on, on sticks, basically grouped together. And when you look at it, it looks like some kind of design from Habitat in the 1970s. Really nice, quite beautiful, uh, and essentially one of those things that gets on with it in the background and is produced from the liver, uh, it sort of dissociates very, very slowly, but can be sped up with bacterial infection. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating for protein. So I'll be discussing that a little bit later uh, in, a, in a sort of another podcast. So one of the questions one has to ask is, is why do we need so many of these cells? There's a lot there. And they all interact with each other and they all do things with each other and they all release chemicals that activate or switch on or switch off or cause maturity, all these different sorts of things. Why is that? And I think that's because as a species, we are migratory and we need 
to we also eat an awful lot of rubbish and we need to have a system that can essentially adapt as we adapt and our immune system allows us to do that so without further ado we're going to try and uh, begin to classify this so that we can sort of remember it now the cells we have again we're going to learn a little bit of classics now so site means cell leuco means white so leukocyte is a white blood cell macro means big uh, there used to be a big shopping center thing called macros oh, it's just because it's big big uh, phago meaning eat so that's greek it's still used in greek today if you uh, if you eat a lot so a macrophage uh, phage phago big eater poly meaning many morph meaning to change shape uh, and yes, so that there are, you know, these these are Greek words that are used. So a polymorph means you have many, you can many things that change shape. So you can have a uh, polymorphonucleus. So you have a chain of many changing shape nuclei. So to give you an idea, and you have cells of the lymph lymphocytes, um, and these include cells called B cells and T cells. And these are part. Uh, these are part of your assassin cell group. You're part of your adaptive immune system, and I'll talk about those later. What I have touched on today are your phagocytes, and these are cells that eat. And these include neutrophils. Uh, these include eosinophils, which I haven't yet mentioned. Uh, these include monocytes and dendritic cells. And then you have these auxiliary cells, and these are cells that are kind of like. Uh, they're used sort of they bring out the big guns. So you have these things. They don't they they don't really do very much. They're not kind of the big. Uh, they're not really sort of there at the forefront. They're kind of there at the back, just causing trouble. So we have basophils, mast cells, and platelets that just just make things you know a little bit worse. We have another another strata, another layer of complication for our immune system. So we have loads of cells from uh, phagocytes auxiliary cells and also lymphocytes so those are all of our cells but what we have is essentially uh in in pharmacology in, in pharmacology in immunology these things have been uh classified into an innate or an adaptive immune system now this doesn't make all of these items exclusive they some things can overlap and the reason that immunologists have done this is so that at this stage we just want you to learn stuff and it's easier if you can pigeonhole things and group things into innate versus adaptive. So the innate immune system is used really in your first line of defense and innate most people think oh it's something you're born with. Well you're also born with your adaptive immune system. Uh, your adaptive immune system is one that adapts uh, as your pathogens adapt. So if you have flu and it's you know, it changes, then you will, and it mutates, your immune system will also adapt to try and combat that. Whereas your innate immune system is not really adaptive. It's the sort of bog standard, not very intelligent, but pretty good at what it does. Uh, and it's your first line of defense. So your immune systems, your adaptive immune system is the one that can adapt and that involves those lovely T cells, which I was talking about, those lymphocytes uh, predominantly, and these are targeted assassins. And also, it also involves the production of antibodies. So your immune system responses, uh, responses whether you are getting your innate immune system uh, predominantly involved or both, uh, it, it varies and it really depends on your pathogen. 
The part of your innate immune system, believe it or not, is actually not only the cells, but it includes also the exterior defenses that you have. So your skin, your mucous membranes, your cilial secretions uh, and tissue fluids, anything where you essentially secrete anything, even weeping. You may be weeping right now, listening to this going, I can't do immunology. There'll be a little antibody in there. There'll be something in there, a little enzyme in there that essentially will be preventing you from getting an infection. You are covered in commensal bacteria. That is good bacteria. So the next time you're getting all OCD and using your antibacterial, you know, hand wash to kill everything off, or you're going to... I was a lady who decided to bathe her children in Dettol, a little bit of Dettol every day just to disinfect them. And it, it wasn't like they were sort of scrabbling around in the dirt, you know, up to their knees, sort of digging for trying to get through to, to Australia, which is what most children do in a garden when they're kids. It was just normal, just process of just Dettol. She's just essentially killing off all the commensal, all the good bacteria that were there. Uh, and the problem, the problem with that is that those commensal bacteria, those good bacteria, uh, essentially they compete with the bad bacteria. So if you have an armful, let's say you've got an entire arm that's covered in good bacteria, there is no room for bad bacteria to get there. If, however, you've managed to just get rid of everything, the bacteria, you've only got space for good, for, for bad stuff. So, uh, and you've, you've come across uh, good bacteria, actually. If you ever have any of those drinks, uh, there's one called Yakult, there's another one called um, Actimel. All of these things are essentially, they, they by lining your gut with good bacteria, you essentially compete away all the bad stuff. So we have this lovely integrated system where this innate system uh, that includes uh, commensal bacteria, that includes our skin, all of the cilial secretions everywhere, anywhere that you, you have a secretion um, in your airways. These, this is part of, this is a sort of integrated with your, sort of with the cells and also sort of with between your adaptive system as well. So let's talk briefly about the phagocytes. The phagocytes that we have in our innate immune system are well, their purpose is to just eat stuff. That's what they do. Isn't that wonderful? If you just that your one job in life is just to eat stuff. There we go. And essentially most of them kind of do go around eating like pac-man they're found in the circulation they reside in tissue and they engulf they internalize and boof, then they destroy whatever it is they've eaten just like when you eat food and it goes into your stomach and the stomach acids get rid of stuff and they include phagocytes uh, such as mon uh, monocytes uh, dendritic cells neutrophils and basophils and they recognize things um, because of something called uh, a, a, a pathogen-associated molecular pattern. So as bacteria have evolved, our immune system has evolved alongside it. And what you find is that our cells of our innate immune system recognize those, those pathogens through these patterns that are on their surface. And these patterns are so essential that the pathogen, the bacteria, for example, can't live without it. And, and I'll give you an example. That would be the sugar coating of a bacterium. Yes, they're covered in sugar. If you imagine, uh, I'm going back to sweets again now. So if you imagine a licorice comfort, I don't know, or, or a licorice torpedo, and they have those lovely sugar coatings, that's pretty much what a bit of bacteria looks like. And 
the uh, phagocyte recognises elements of that sugar as a sort of a molecular level and will bind to it and upon binding to it will then trigger um, a sort of a phagocytic process and cause it to kind of just to engulf it and eat it. Now, sometimes the uh, it's not quite the sort of uh, the nice sort of flavour that it really likes. It doesn't really fancy uh, engulfing and internalising and destroying the pathogen. And so what you can do is you can also cover the pathogen in something and it will make it more palatable. And these things that attach to the bacteria and make it more palatable are called opsonic fragments. And there's another Latin word for you. Uh, opsonization it's latin and it means to make food ready for so if you have an opsonic fragment it means that it has essentially made it more palatable it's a bit like adding salt to your chips or vinegar or, or coating anything in chocolate frankly uh, it just makes it more palatable so your phagocytes have these receptors that recognize these pathogen associated molecular patterns and we'll be going over this a bit more when we talk about our innate immune system but these phagocytes, um, you have uh, these receptors, which are really important. They are called scavenger receptors, which basically scavenge, carbohydrate receptors, and also toll-like receptors. And what these receptors are, are very ancient in their structures, very similar to the bacterium. And as soon as they bind to them, they cause them to be eaten. Opsonic fragments can include antibodies, for example. Antibodies behave like uh, they, they, one side of the antibody, if you do have them, will bind to the bacterium and the other side will bind to the phagocyte and the phagocyte rumph, will eat it all up. The, uh, so that's the sort of the, the, the sort of the, the essentially what happens. And this uh, mechanism of phagocytosis is, again, something that we will discuss uh, in a later lecture. Now, neutrophils, they do that. They, they phagocytose like that. Monocytes phagocytose like that. Macrophages do not. Macrophages are like an octopus or, or the kraken even, where you essentially have a pseudopodium or, or sort of uh, these pseudopodia, these, these sort of elements sort of come out of the macrophage and they lasso a bacteria and then they kind of pull it back in and then they kind of eat it out. So if you ever look at an, activate, an activated macrophage, it looks like a crazy sort of sort of octopus with, with not just with eight legs, with as many as it wants that can lasso that they have these extensions coming out of its body. These things that are called pseudopodia and they come out and they grab onto the uh, onto onto the bacterium and they pull them back in. It's a bit like the kraken. It kind of surrounds something and just pulls it back into the main body where it eats it all up. So we just macrophages are just awesome. You've also got your neutrophils. Now, neutrophils are big. They are twice the size of most cells, even a macrophage. A macrophage is big. It says it's big. I mean, that's what it's called in the title. But neutrophils are even bigger. These things are about twice the size of a red blood cell. And they are very, very dynamic. If you ever want to see, there's a uh, a video from sort of 1957, I think, and it literally has is a picture of a, a video of a macro of a not a macrophage, a neutrophil, 
chasing a bacterium, chasing, I'm using the word chase because that is what is happening, is literally this little tiny black dot, which is a bacterium, is skimming all over this agar plate. And there is a, a big fat neutrophil literally chasing it. And then this little bacterium is going round and round other cells. It's a, obviously, it gets caught up with and it gets phagocytosed. Now, the neutrophil is, is this phagocyte, uh, particularly for bacteria. And it's full of granules, which are lysosomes. These are enzymes. And you find lots and lots of neutrophils at sites of bacterial invasion. And essentially, when was the last time you saw a neutrophil? And most people say, I don't know. Neutrophils are the cell that essentially makes up pus. So you remember the last time you had a pussy spot or you had a cut and it went a bit nasty? That, that ook is not just ook. It's not just exudate. It is. It has cells, dead cells in it, and this and they die. So your neutrophils, as soon as they engulf and they destroy those bacteria, they also die. They do this because they have um, they they have all the sugar that they store, the glycogen in their body, and they use it all up to kill the um, to kill the bacteria. They don't do it like with enzymes and like slow dissolving in hydrogen peroxide, which is what the other phagocytes do. They use this thing called a respiratory burst. And this essentially causes the bacteria to die as well. So everybody dies. And so what you find is that once they're dead, they're dead and lies bodies that essentially are then sort of exuded. And that's what you find in a separating wound. So the next time you, you know, if you were a curious biochemist or a curious biologist, you could take a little bit of pus and you could stick it on a slide under a microscope uh, and you would see lots of little tiny round spherical sort of objects which are your dead neutrophils. Um, and then obviously disinfect the heck out of everything because it's full of bacteria. So in a nutshell, that is, uh, that's a whistle-stop tour of all of the things we have in our body. You find that the first cells at the site of an infection will be your phagocytes, your innate immune system cells. So your neutrophils and your monocytes, your mononuclear phagocytes. So your monocytes, your macrophages, your dendritic cells, they'll come next. Well, no, they come at the same time as neutrophils. Uh, and then what happens then is that shortly after that, you then, after about four or five days of, of, if you haven't gotten rid of your infection by then, you then find that you'll have uh, types of T cells starting to come. Uh, first, your helper T cells and your cytotoxic T cells. And then after a period of weeks, if you're still not well, you will then start getting uh, activation B cells uh, and antibody production. So all in all, this is a, you know, from start to finish, if you do have an infection, it can take weeks and weeks and weeks to recuperate. And I think anybody who's ever had a really nasty infection uh, will know that. So that's the whistle-stop tour of the introduction to immunology. Join me next time when we'll be discussing a little bit more about the innate immune system. And do check the Fran Science Art website for uh, quizzes and other things that will help you uh, in your learning. So do join me in the next podcast. And uh, yeah, enjoy your immunology. Thanks for listening.